afternoon good evening <laughs> this is meat and poison with matt and this is andy and today we are talking about the celebrated french designer yves saint laurent indeed and um you can jump in with a little bit of his life i think yeah or his childhood perhaps childhood yeah well he was born in algeria which was a French colony back in the day, and I think 1936, am I wrong? I think that, that, that's about right. Today's the 1st of August, is it not? Uh, and here's to Eve. We are drinking mint tea. Indeed. Very Moroccan style. Matt will explain why. Mm. Well, because he spent a huge part of his life in Morocco. It seemed to be a big love of his. Although, as we discovered, he was born in Algeria, but uh, it seemed to be that the Northern African culture kind of became a, uh, an inspiration for him much more when he became an expat. Yeah. So much to Paris. Or no, the other way around. he became an expat from oh, yes. Paris to... Yeah, I suppose he was doubly an expat. That really. doubly an expat. He always wanted to move. I think he sort of longed to leave Algeria. Yeah, and um, to live in Paris and to and be... And left very young very young when he moved Ooh, yeah. to but um, love <clears> of <throat> fashion from from early on well love of fashion and theatre and the arts really but but very much mm. the performance of art and, and the presentation of beauty I think was his greatest love see you more of a fashion guy and you used to live in Paris and work there and you more in the know basically for Eve. me yeah <laughs> Basically, Eve. Just me and Eve. <laughs> Just like them in the biz. <laughs> you know, my phone never rang. I should point out I no longer work in fashion at all. <laughs> no. And I never did. Didn't quite achieve Eve's career. The point is, I am ba probably making like a, a huge faux pas by being dressed in, I don't know, whatever I'm wearing is definitely not Yves Saint Laurent, not me naming labels. But what really struck me in my research, and we talked about where he was born and then he moved and then he became the first assistant of Dior. Uh, and then at 21, after Dior's sudden death, yeah. he starts to run the whole house. Yeah, which quite, quite prophetic Dior. Yeah. He, already, he named Yves Mathieu Saint Laurent, as he was then known, um, as his successor just one year before um, when and, and Dior died very young I think it was 52 or something yeah um, so a very young age to start naming your your successor but then he dies a year later so but I mean the promotion the, the stratospheric move like jump yeah to not even jump oh, what's the word I'm and, looking and, for and leap leap to yeah. success is he only worked there for four years well I mean and yeah, until a, a meteoric rise through the ranks, yeah. I think we could say. Um, so he must have done something right well, and good. I think Dior found in him just a, a talent and a, and a love that was, was kin, akin to his own, for mm. a love for, for fashion and fabrics and, and using them. Although my opinion of Yves Saint Laurent 
which will probably be controversial, is that he wasn't really uh, made for the world of haute couture that he was introduced to. Well, explain to the listeners and the viewers, some of them are not exactly fashionistas, what haute couture means. <laughs> I had to find, find out yeah. about that. Well, haute couture is, is, is the very, very top, the very pinnacle of fashion, and it's, it's changed enormously since, um, you know, since Yves Saint Laurent was, was training in it, in which, at which time it was the, the way that most wealthy women bought their clothes was to go Twice um, a year which is not Paris. the case now that people would buy it so so prolifically. You not might not exactly a hardship, but nowadays buy no. <laughs> but you know there are people nowadays, obviously, who do still buy haute couture. But an haute couture gown nowadays is upwards of twenty thousand pounds or euros. Um, incredible costs. It was slightly different back then. It was slightly more accessible, still very expensive. Um, but yeah, it was fashion was really led by the wealthy. Um, in those times and I think the reason I say that Eve was not meant for this world is that his interest lay so much more with modern culture mm. and with with street style but I think not just by the wealthy I think but also by the upper classes yeah absolutely so upper class wealthy yeah so I mean we were talking about um, you know fashion shows Dior for example would take his collections to Winter Castle to show to the, to the young princesses at the time and they were the, the style makers, they were the people that people wanted to emulate at the time because the people buying these fashions were from, from that, that class group. Mm. Um, and that's really where fashion was happening, was, was, was right at the, the top of the kind of class scale and the wealth scale. And haute couture was, was a much larger business. So why was he not then um, cut out for that world? Well, as I said, I think because he was so more in so much more interested in modernity mm. and haute couture particularly at that time dior famously had brought about the new look um which were these huge voluminous dresses mm. and big skirts and lots of fabric and a, and a real return to femininity yeah and it wasn't modern really it was harking back to sort of turn of the century and big ball gowns and and i don't think i think you know eve obviously loved learning his craft he obviously adored Dior as a as a craftsman, as a craftsman, but I don't think that style really set well mm. with him because what he wanted was was modernity. He wanted to see what was happening next, and he's designing or, or takes over the house of Dior at this incredible moment in fashion history where you know it's it's the birth of the teenager, it's the birth of 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 hippie culture. Really, he he takes over sort of end of the fifties and. Um, I'm going to be silent most of the podcast while we're just <laughs> listening to him. <laughs> and yeah, it doesn't fit with the customers anymore. A lot of the, du- the couture houses start shutting and um, he tries to do something a bit new and actually he ends up getting let go by the house. Well, not just because he, he was sort of attempting to do something new, but you know, hardly had he worked for Dior, I think, for how many years? a couple two two, yeah not very many years uh, when he was called up to um, fight with the Algerian War War for the French yes it didn't really go um, as planned thank God he wasn't like recruited to the army it didn't didn't go past the the training camp he had a major nervous breakdown and um, lost uh, 
ended up in hospital and lost his job um, at Dior. And then uh, I think his partner, Pierre Berger, that uh, stayed with him throughout his life, um, visited him in hospital. And at some point, this is how I, how I, how I learned about it. Uh, he just said, we need to uh, start our own brand and you will manage it. Yes. That was Eve's uh, Yeah, I think words. he was let go whilst he was in the hospital having fairly... Um, We're still talking about a man under 30. Yeah, I mean, not even close to 30. I think yeah. at this point he's sort of mid-20s. People yeah, were I mean, so much more mature than they are today. <laughs> we are nearly 40 and we're doing a podcast. Yeah, I mean, he's a, really a rough hand. I'm going to say he's nearly 40. Well, hang on. I am. He gets very, gets very upset. <laughs> Nobody's going to believe that. Um, no, he had a, we're mean, wearing really, lots of makeup. A really, really rough really hand. A lot. As, as you said, this meteoric rise to success and then this, this horrendous treatment in the army, this this nervous breakdown and then do you fire him whilst he's basically still in the hospital mm. and yeah his response is I mean he's pretty hard nut he just says well then we have to create our own yeah um, and create he did create he did and yeah a very fortuitous time in fashion to be yeah starting something new shall we then talk about him as do you want to talk about him as a designer or as a businessman or maybe as both? Because I think that these two go hand in hand with Yves Saint Laurent because he, he well, was really good at... Pierre Berger was really the businessman. Okay. Um, I don't think still... you can take that away from, well, maybe from him because he was certainly... I think without Pierre, there would be no Eve. Was it, um, wait, was he like uh, René for Celine? Yes, exactly. <laughs> he is. He is <laughs> Celine to René. Wait, but Celine's René died before Celine. See, that's where true. they changed roles. Yeah, this is true. I was like, okay, well, that's fine. Mm. But, you know, n no matter who made those decisions, we're going to mention them in, in more detail. But I think, I thought they were quite brilliant, to be honest. Absolutely. And, yeah. and quite gutsy for the time. The managing of it, yeah. And, well, I mean, I think you're talking about the decision to open the Pret-a-Porter to the Rive Gauche Brand. You need to explain that to the viewers because um, we were well so researched. Reeve um, Gauche was the name of his ready to wear brand, and he was really the first um, couture house. Ready to wear, much less expensive. To launch a ready to wear. Much connection. more accessible, right? Yeah. Not 20. So it was, it, grand. Was, it was closed as nowadays you could walk into a shop and take off the peg, which yeah. no other couture brand was doing because they just did the couture where you go for five or six fittings or three or four fittings. and basically spent a year there tens of thousands and <laughs> this was you know the idea that you could go and choose your pieces and also the idea that you would not be buying a whole look and so i think it was also giving some power to the consumer mm. to choose their style a little bit more as opposed to going in and saying i'll take look number four from the hat to the shoes and everything mm. to just being able to buy a jacket but right now we're sort of stating these facts and they seem like nothing to anybody mm. But back in the 60s, it really wasn't a done thing. It wasn't a done thing. It was definitely not a done thing for a, for a couture house. I mean, there were, there were shops, obviously, coming about. I think he, he did it first. A lot of other, a few of the others were, were planning it at mm. the same time. And so there were a few others that sort of followed quite close behind. Mm. And I don't think it was necessarily just copying him. I think it had been a movement that was happening 
people were aware that that street style uh, that the people wanted fashion and they that that a new class of people wanted fashionable clothes but couldn't afford couture so mm. it was a sensible business decision certainly but i do think a sensible business decision i do think from a creative point of view it was also very much eve's dream to be able to to influence fashion in that way yeah on a much wider and to scale. see maybe his designs on the street yeah i think one of the things he said apparently was that he wished he'd he'd designed the blue jeans hmm. the, you know because this sort of iconic item that everybody wears so he wasn't interested in exclusivity hmm. he was interested in in legacy i think in well speaking of legacy and iconic items um shall we mention some of the other um introductions that um yeah were the doings of his well, hand yours, I, I think you're one of your favorite items you are you talking about like the mm -hmm. smoking no? oh well yeah no i i just thought you would talk about the design and i would just like not because <laughs> I, mean, I no sod all about this <laughs> Oh, but you've done some research. No, I've done some, some research, obviously. What I really found fascinating is that, you know, back in the 60s, men wore dinner jackets, well, I mean, they still do, uh, trousers, they smoked cigarettes or cigars, and they talked about politics in their little clubs, and women were just, like, you know, in their little dresses and sort of yeah. chattering about. And then Eve, and I think it's, uh, I think he says that in one of his statements that I he just... that might have been what was expected of women. Yes. Yeah. But I'm, he says, says that in one of his statements that it's not just about the elegance, but giving uh, the women the power. And so that's, I think, that's how I understood him. He gave them the power by giving them the smoking, which is the, you know, the dinner jacket. The, the trousers maybe brought them back again, but yeah. you know, after Dior completely eliminated them. And uh, um, and gave them the power to you know to smoke cigarettes and go and talk about politics around. Yeah, among I mean, men. I don't think we can credit. No, but Saint Laurent with the entire. Obviously, he didn't change the entire of the culture. 60s, but I think he, he. But he was a strong. He gave a look to it. Yeah, he gave a look to it, and he represented some of the women that are still to this day, not just the you know the elegance uh, um, icons like Françoise Hardy or uh, Catherine Deneuve, but also quite strong and opinionated women. Yeah, you know? yeah, I think he, he had a, a respect for Who women. had full, um, full careers. He had, yeah, he had a respect for women and the emancipation of women and was very interested and, and very moved by, by the feminist movement and wanted to, to visually support that by the sort of, yeah, offering androgynous looks, offering a masculine mm. take on looks as well as beautiful clothes at the same yeah. time um I, I mean i was super interested in the research i'd never heard about the the yeager music movement in, oh, yeah. um, in the 60s in in france that's um because one hears so much about the swinging 60s in london and everything and that you know the, the french equivalent was this the instrumentality was this uh yeah yeah music which was <laughs> francois hardy and francois hardy sylvie vartan so that the, the two um women he started he dressing then dressed a lot in their in, in videos of well not videos and live performances on stage yeah. them. um which was yeah kind of the french version of the swinging 60s and mm. and yves saint laurent is really the 
the French sort of um, what's the word touch point in yeah. fashion for, for that movement and the beginning of that and the very you know the very very short skirts and then he he started to take things like um, the Mondrian dress which is one of his most famous pieces um, to take so modern art that was that was happening at the time what not quite you're trying art. to I think to drive at is the um, also a, a new um, quite genius decision to promote as band just by starting to dress the new aristocracy of the time the 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 the, the, um, the stratum of people that people that other people look to yeah. celebrities yeah Francois Hardy would immediately they saw them on stage wearing something by Saint Laurent the the items were sold out and then yeah. you know Catherine Deneuve obviously one of one of his nearly models as in yeah and someone I think who it, it uh, was sort of followed suit by for example Givenchy with um, Audrey Hepburn at the sort of same time was happening but it, w it was a movement that was growing and, and Yves Saint Laurent certainly latched onto that mm. idea as well that idea of branding isn't it which I think is my meat for um, Yves Saint Laurent is kind of his ability or this idea that uh, to build a brand around the clothing that doesn't just depend on the designs mm. um, because conversely my poison would be I, I'm not a massive fan of a lot of his 70s designs I don't particularly like that style they were all not all a lot of them are quite outrageous a lot of this sort of fringed Afghan stuff and crocodile leather with mink I mean, on it and, and yeah various things going on not my taste but the idea of uh, he created this brand around himself or Pierre Berger did as well and to to create a world of, of around a brand which I don't think was done so excellently again until Tom Ford took over at Gucci really do you know what really struck me because I was trying to look for my meat and poison I haven't been able to find anything poisonous about um, Saint Laurent maybe for um, the simple reason that I really fell for the man yeah. so it kind of it sort of touched me because I thought okay that man had no childhood well no youth he started working very yeah. early then at 21 to start running any business much less one of probably the biggest fashion house in the world uh, is no mean fees, a feat and, uh, and then basically all he did in his life was just work, 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 work. And there is a quote that I found in one of my, um, in, uh, in one of the podcasts I listened to uh, by him when he was asked about what he would, he would like to do maybe after his uh, work is done, maybe after he retired. Um, and he said, well, I would like to travel maybe more. And, uh, but also I would like to sleep. And as a person who likes to sleep, <laughs> <laughs> I felt like, and then what, um, he was asked about what his idea of happiness is, and he said, uh, "Un grand lit, a big bed," <laughs> uh, which to me it just sounded like you know that man really put everything, sort of set everything on his career and his work life, and had barely any time to be, maybe you know, alone to rest, I to be with his friends. Obsessed with legacy, though. I think that's what he, he probably he wanted to leave a mark. 
I mean, he said at one point when he was quite young, one, one day my, my name will be on flames on the yeah. Champs-Élysées. And uh, he, I think, an incredibly driven man that drove him probably to his own destruction because I think if you're that temperament, you're never really going to be satisfied with what you've achieved because I think he, what he was trying to achieve was to, to leave this indelible mark on the world and he certainly has on the world of fashion but I don't think that mm. kind of character is ever really fulfilled mm. and he ended up sadly at the end of his life you know, with a, a drug and alcohol problem that, that really... Yeah, but that's what I was trying to um, sort of lead to because uh, one, of, one of his quotes that really pierced my heart was uh, when he said, I, I have absolutely no time for sometimes even cinema. Because uh, he said, je fais des robes et je dors, which is, I make dresses and then I sleep. And, I sleep. Yeah. and to me, because, you know, one imagines the life of a fashion designer, something really fabulous, surrounded by beautiful people, parties and champagne and celebrations. But it's actually a lot of work. I well, mean, I it's basically it's, just... It's gotten worse nowadays. And there's yeah. a big sort of thing with, with the coronavirus recently and... and um, and changing people's work patterns um, within the fashion industry as a whole, there seems to be a movement to, to try and and push back against this constant mm. output that's needed. But we definitely are not wrapping up on a sad note. But we we've sort of touched upon, I think, the democratization and the popularization of fashion, mm. and I um, we both loved it. I think we yeah. both loved that idea. But what do you think of today's? Uh, like American Vogue, um, maybe making the, um, that magazine less artsy and more industry, or maybe the Oscar ceremony be, being basically a fashion show today, and um, where the designers are just yeah, waiting see, you for. You have more of a problem with that than I do. Because no, I don't have a problem with that. I just don't like the, the phrase "Who are you wearing?" <laughs> I don't have a problem with the, with the beautiful actresses wearing beautiful dresses. I have absolutely no problem with that. I understand. No, but I think it's kind of part of the fun because if you're going to choose to wear these incredible creations, then why shouldn't people ask you about it? Fine. Because I, fi I, I really find that I find that really funny. It annoys me a little bit when when some people are like, "Well, why are you asking me who I'm wearing?" It's like, well, if you don't want to be asked about your dress, then why are you wearing? An incredible artistic creation. No, from no, 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 and being clothes horses in the next few years because there's certainly a backlash against it mm. um, that you know you can't you shouldn't expect and, and rightfully so you shouldn't just expect that uh, every single female actor is going to be a an advocate for fashion no um, and it has sort of been expected of them in the past I think and I think that will change I think there will always be people who wasn't there a ceremony was it this year or was it last year when they They're all, all agreed to no they all agreed to wear something that's already been worn by them oh okay no I didn't see that wait okay. am, I, am I just like making it up there was one where they all wore black 
No, no, that was for, for the Golden Globes and that was for a different reason. But then there was one where they decided to stand for, you know, maybe, you know, recycling. Sustainable fashion. Sustainable yeah. fashion. And they all, obviously every single woman there owns at least one dress she could wear again. Yeah. Um, and that's what they did. And I thought that that actually was quite an, I mean, it's still a statement. It's still a statement made by celebrities who prob probably, you know, should just make movies and shut the fuck up. But... <laughs> To get my <laughs> personal opinion. <laughs> so, shall we talk just a little bit more about his legacy, or a little bit about his legacy? Yeah, I think he wanted to, as I said, I wanted to leave him up, but he was also quite generous in, um, well, he, as we said, was an expat in Morocco and gifted there the, to the city the Jardin Majorelle. Which was going to be turned into a property project, and yeah. they just bought the land and turned it into the beautiful Jardin, which you've visited, I, I haven't. Have visited, yeah, it is very beautiful. You um, see, you, you sound a bit, you know, underwhelmed. I think it was so hyped up. Um, <laughs> for one, I found Marrakesh a very, very stressful city, I have to say. Yeah. Um, it it's was, the high expectations. It was a beautiful place to be, but it is quite a stressful city to visit. Um, and I, I, it was lovely going to the Jardin Majorelle. They're very lovely, but then I, you know you, they've talked about so much, and mm. it's this kind of big, big point to hit in Marrakesh, and they're just they're not that huge, and they're not that overwhelming. So he wanted basically more. I he kind wanted, of, like, I was he wanted like a park. He, want, and it's, he it's, wanted it's, like a Mariah Carey show on, <laughs> on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> no, I kind of I was expecting to some enormous park, and it's it's not. It's it's a very beautiful garden, um, but it's uh, it's on a smaller scale than I had thinking. That's not his recommendation Definitely. for later. Hey, worth a visit. <laughs> worth he, a visit, but not. He also, you know, what what he and 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 Pierre Berger both did was was. Ex obsessively um, document and, and archive everything that they did almost from the very beginning, um, which is a great gift to the world culturally. And they then had the, the Fondation uh, Pierre Berger and Yves Saint Laurent, which in 2017 was then turned into the Musée Yves Saint Laurent, which is at his old couture house. Um, and they have, I went to the, the, when it was still just a foundation, when you had to, you could go if you were a student and you were allowed and they showed you some of these clothes. I mean, they have tens of thousands of, of articles of clothing and drawings and pieces, all sorts of pieces from his life. And um, yeah, I, so I haven't yet been to the museum, the Saint Museum, but I think it's a great thing to have left to the mm. world um, when you knew I think he was always aware that he was he was something special, mm. he was a, a genius, and that people were going to want to going to want to look back on him and yeah, see what he did. Um, so I'm just going to start documenting everything I do. Hence our podcast. <laughs> this is why we're doing this. We're really we're, it's all about the legacy in this room. <laughs> Um, so shall we um, wrap up on some recs? Sure, some recs. <laughs> <laughs> what would you like to recommend? Because mine is a bit more pedestrian than yours. Um, I, there's a wonderful uh, documentary which is available on YouTube actually. I mean in like nine small parts. <laughs> yeah. But it's um, called Sac Avenue Marceau. It's at number five Avenue Marceau. 
which is the address of the Yves Saint Laurent Atelier. It's a wonderful documentary about him, filmed whilst he was still alive. Some fabulous... Starring Catherine Deneuve. Catherine Deneuve is in it a lot. <laughs> She's a fiery character. I love her. She um, runs that house. She really... <laughs> there is no shit going past Catherine. She <laughs> takes no prisoners. <laughs> Do you really love that woman? She's she kind is, of fabulous. Yeah. She could run a country. Um, also, like age-defying somehow despite she's the fact that she smokes not, about 800 cigarettes no, she's, she quit but like what's the point I mean, she quit like a, how old is she now I don't know she quit at like 75 or something I would not want to get you think she's over 70 no she quit at 75 yeah, but do you think she's older than 75 oh is that wait <laughs> edit that out we're not tagging Catherine come on but she's that generation mm. I mean Meryl is 71 yeah that's true I think she's older than Meryl Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> this is Ooh. Gonna be cut out <laughs> of this episode. Anyway, she's not about her. We're gonna we're gonna cut it out anyway. Uh, my recommendation. So watch that documentary, which I watched too, and I, I really uh, I really liked. Is it is it subtitled in English yeah. for yeah. some people who don't speak? <laughs> Catherine Deneuve speed French. <laughs> <laughs> which is also me. <laughs> um, yeah, mine is a bit worldly and like material, materi- well, not materialistic, but mat- more material. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know that I am a, a madman um, when it comes to scents. Yeah. I am quite. He's talking perfumes, yeah. Yeah. Fragrances. Fragrances. Do you like so. that word? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> perfumes. Um, and uh, yes, and one of his um, perfumes. Which was, uh, I think, when when did it originate? Some sixties or seventies, with a very gutsy photo of a naked yeah, I think Saint Laurent on a sofa. Seventy one, so it must be. So yeah, yeah, around that time. So I mean, the perfume has been has been around for a while, and it's one of my uh, fa- favorite perfumes. Uh, my recommendation is actually not one of the seventy five kinds of that perfume, but the real McCoy, which is Eau de Parfum, La Nuit de l'Homme. Benjamin, if you're watching, you know what I'm talking about. So, uh, shall we announce um, our next episode? I think you should, because it's definitely... Why? Name. Well, it's... He might be right about that. I will probably be doing a lot of talking in the next episode, because I'm obsessed with that man. Uh, his name is Roger Federer. The next episode is on the 8th of August, his uh, majesty's birthday <laughs> of tennis. And uh, we're gonna talk about lots of interesting things. We have, actually haven't decided uh, exactly uh, how we're gonna focus that episode, but we're really looking forward to it. I definitely have to do some research, catch up with you. I, I have, yeah, I basically live for Roger. In terms of Roger. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening and watching. This has been Meat and Poison. Yeah. Thank you. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Oh. Oh.